This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. This show is brought to you by Pet King Brands, the makers of Zymox and Oratine. It's OBEHAVE with Arden Moore, the show that teaches you how to have harmony in the household with your pets. Join Arden as she travels coast to coast to help millions better understand why cats and dogs do what they do. Get the latest scoop on famous faces. They're perfectly pampered pets in Who's Walking Who in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails. Garner great pet tips and have a doggone fur-flying fun time. So get ready for the pause and applause as we unleash your all-behave host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome to the Old Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Imagine a world without any of us. I'm talking humans. Now, picture this people-less, well, that's hard to say, people-less planet populated with dogs. I'm talking dogs of all ages, sizes. Without people, would dogs survive, thrive? Would they morph back to being wolves? I bet all of this is getting you thinking, right? All of this is a premise for a must-get new book authored by a pair of stellar animal champions. The book is called A Dog's World, Imagining the Lives of Dogs in a World Without Humans. Join me today, right now, in giving pause and applause to my special guest, the co-authors of this book, Dr. Jessica Pierce and Dr. Mark Beckoff. Hey, welcome both to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, listeners, we're going to be talking with the Dr. Jessica Pierce. She focuses on human-animal relationships. She's a renowned bioethicist. She just made that title so I can trip over it. Just kidding. That's a great term. And on our show is the Mark Beckoff. He, like her, has devoted his life to animals. He is a successful professor of ecology and evolutionary biology. Wow, that's a lot. Hey, can dogs survive without us? We're going to find out after we take this commercial break. So sit and stay. We'll be right back. Time for a pause. For furry ones, actually, sit and stay. Oh, behave. We'll be right back. Hey, Pet Pals, Arden Moore here. Got dog? Of course you do. Our friends at Carlson Pet Products have some great products to keep your dog happy and safe. They have a lineup of decorative and durable doorway gates. Hey, I got two and I love them. They keep my dogs, Kona and Emma, out of the two rooms where my cat's litter boxes are. My cats are able to slip in and out of the small opening of the gate when needed. I installed these gates in minutes. The gates are easy to use and match my decor. Learn more by dashing over to carlsonpetproducts.com today. You'll be glad you did. Get 25% off your order plus free shipping using the promo code PETLIFE at carlsonpetproducts.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. All Behave is back with more tail-wagging ways to achieve harmony in the household with your pets. Now back to your fetching host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Welcome back to the Old Behave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. 
Our show today is going creative, a woulda, coulda, shoulda kind of approach. That's because our guests are best-selling authors, Dr. Jessica Pierce and Dr. Mark Beckoff. They've written a number of books on their own, and, and this time they're teaming up with a new book just came out in October. The title says it all, A Dog's World, Imagining the Lives of Dogs in a World Without Humans. Now, I'll try not to give any spoiler alerts, but I got to let you both know my imagination was on fire after reading your book, all nine chapters. And I'm looking at my dogs, Kona and Emma, in a totally different way. So let's start with you, uh, Dr. Jessica. What was the motivation for you and Mark to say, hey, you want to write a book together and let's do it on this topic? Yeah. Well, so this is actually our fourth book together. You would think we, we would be tired of each other by now, but we actually. <laughs> um, I am, but she's not. <laughs> oh, good answer. I know. I just keep begging him. Let's do another, please. Um, you know, this is really in many ways a culmination of the books that we have written um, in the past and that especially the last book, which was called Unleashing Your Dog. And that book was really like, you know, if, if you want to give your dog the best life possible, yes. how would you do that? And it's a, you know, very practical guide, letting your dog sniff more, letting your dog, you know, roll around in yucky stuff occasionally. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, part of, I mean, that I guess in simplest terms, the thesis of the book is that we need to let dogs be dogs and engage in natural dog behaviors. And what was interesting to us and to me particularly was how difficult that question is to answer. So what exactly is a natural behavior for a dog? Because, you know, particularly in the United States where we tend to think of dogs on the other end of a leash or sitting at our feet by the fireplace, it's hard to know what a natural repertoire of dog behaviors is because we have so fully integrated them into our own home environments and kind of in many ways taken away their abilities to just be dogs. So so this most recent book was an exploration of, you know, if, if humans were out of the picture, what would dogs do? You know, what would their ideal day look like? Yeah, let's um, jump right in, um, Mark, if you would, because there was a few lines that I love that said dogs would eventually all be medium sized. They go back to being wolves. My favorite line, dogs would be totally screwed. What? <laughs> so tell us about what made you say, hey, Jessica, let's do a fourth book together. Yeah, well, so I'm a biologist. And among the big questions that I was interested in were um, that dogs would become members of wild communities. Yeah. Um, Jessica touched on the fact that only about 25% of the billion or so dogs in the world are homed. The rest are free ranging and feral. Um, some, if you will, really feral. So as she said, you know, people's ideal dog is a dog on a leash or a dog in a home. So they make generalizations from those dogs and then try to apply them up, up you know, to what their dog would look like if they disappeared. And I'm sure a lot of the dogs are going, oh, that would be just fine because we don't like being helicoptered so much. Oh, but, good term. Yeah. You know, but as a biologist and a field biologist who studied coyotes and have done some work with wolves, one of the first things that came to my mind was that gonna, they're going to be members of wild communities. And in our book, we introduce what we call the three C's. You know, they'll have to either coexist, compete with, or just cooperate with. 
other wild animals, you know, carnivores or predators, if you will. So I was really focusing, I mean, I was really interested in what kind of changes they would be able to accomplish. You know, would they be able to hunt? Would they be able to mate? Would they be able to raise children? You know, the general questions that we raise in in field studies. When you broke it down in the book, it's kind of amazing. And you both said it, but I want to emphasize this. There are more dogs on this planet, a good number more, than are in our homes, quote, domesticated, wearing hats, participating in yappy hours and things like that. So number one, that that's a lot of dogs. And I don't think a lot of Americans realize that there's a lot of dogs already surviving on their own. Thank you very much. And their own networks, right? We'll go with uh, Mark first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's a side issue, but for somebody like you, who's in and your audience interested in dog behavior, so much of what we know about dogs come from lab studies of 15 dogs. So we really don't know much about these free ranging dogs. If anything, they would be the more prototype dog because they still have wild genes. They still have their brains that function a lot like wolves. So, right. And when people go, well, my dog would never live without me. I mean, that might be possible, but it's a small sample size. Yeah, they're very good. And I'm going to throw this at you, Dr. Jessica. What makes a canid, and you said dogs are the only canids to be domesticated? That's correct. I hope your audience will appreciate That was yes. a doggy. Who was, we got to give a little, <laughs> hey, shout out. Who's our dog backup vocals on the show? This is Bella, who's I, I think was objecting to something Mark said, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, she what kind of does. dog is Bella? <laughs> She's a mix, mostly herding genes. Okay. Well, I heard you, Bella. Yeah. I heard you. You had me a bark. So talk about that because people don't realize that, um, you know, we, you know, they've been domesticated from the wolves, more specifically gray wolves. But uh, there's a, you know, tell us about what it's for the average person. What is a canid and why are dogs the only ones domesticated? So I think, so I have to start with just a little anecdote, which is um, one thing that really surprised me when we started working on this book is, you know, I, I got out some, you know, zoology textbooks and started to read about, you know, what are canids. And interestingly, dogs are often left out of discussions in these textbooks about canids. Right. I right. think we're saying in like zoology yeah. textbooks, especially, right? Precisely yep. because they are domesticated and there's been this kind of prejudice against domesticated animals. They're not that worthy of scientific interest because they're artifacts of human creation. But dogs are, in fact, one of 37 canid species, extant canid species. And Mark would actually be the better one to speak about this as a canid biologist. But I mean, the, the, what really stood out to me about canids is they're cursorial, which means they, um, they run. They're animals who sort of run for a living. And as a dog owner, you know, that's in contrast to what we talk about every single day as our number one chore, which is to walk the dog. And dogs don't actually probably really want to walk. They want to run around and dart from one place to another in different directions and sniff things. Even so, Bella? Even Bella, although to say she Bella is now disabled, so oh. she can't run anymore, but she still likes to likes to take her own sweet time and, and choose her own sweet direction. Mark, you want to hop in on this? Because this is kind of your wheelhouse. 
Yeah, I mean, well, what Jessica said is really true. So one of the adaptations I'll have to make is, will they be fit enough physically, if you will, to run down prey? So that would be long-term aerobic fitness. Will they be able to run, stop, run, stop, run, stop, like a lot of wild canids and wild carnivores do? And, you know, I expect that they will train very fast. I was thinking a lot about this a couple of days ago, that once again, it's in their genes. And I listen to friends say they rescue a dog who never had much activity or um, much exercise. And lo and behold, soon after the dog is really active and able to keep up with them and run and do all the different, um, you know, all the different sorts of exercises, if you will, you know, long-term aerobic, which is very, you know, very typical of wolves chasing, you know, their, their ancestors chasing prey for miles and miles on end. And then stopping, starting, stopping, starting. And in in fitness training, that's called interval training. So they'll be fine there. You know, one of the things that domestication has gotten rid of is the, if you will, a killing bite. Although, you know, people who have been bitten by dogs will attest to the fact that their bites are still pretty strong. But, you know, we inhibit their bite. Very good point. Will they be able to release that bite? And yeah, they will. I mean, wolves have what's called the sagittal crest on their head. That's where the jaw muscles basically insert. Dogs don't have a real pronounced one. So, you know, one interesting question that maybe 10 people in the world would <laughs> ponder. Wait a minute, um, count me is, in. I'm in. I'm in. Come okay. On. Well, dogs, you know, over time, but no one will be here to know. But will dogs evolve uh, sagittal yeah. crests like wolves? So that's why, I mean, that's why. Wait a minute, let's back up for a minute. Don't you guys dig what you're doing? I mean, seriously, let's, let's, I know you're very, scientific and very no, no, knowledgeable, no, but you're say. unopening a curtain that hasn't been opened. Yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, as a biologist, the questions that are raised are really intriguing, but no one will be here. So part of that book is we imagine what would happen if there were a few humans, like if somebody with my training or Jessica's training happened to be around in, say, 20 generations of dogs, even 10, 15 years. Okay. What would they see? Some of these traits will evolve really fast. Some are more resistant. So that's why, how long will it take for female dogs to go from two to one heat, for example? Yeah, their cycle would go. And the other thing you brought up, and I don't know who's going to answer this one, but puppy dog eyes, it's not going to have any value. Is that yours, Jessica? Well, we could, it's a human. We mo- yeah, we both might give different answers, but it's an, it's a really interesting case. So for listeners who don't know, dogs are different from wolves in that they have evolved a musculature, facial facial muscles that allow them to engage in what you might call a solicitation behaviors or aka begging. Yeah. Um, you know, those great big droopy puppy dog eyes that say, please, I'm starving to death. You've got to give me a piece of that. And, you know, would those facial muscles have any value in a world without people um, from whom dogs would be begging. What, what's for your food. vote? My vote is it's really hard to know. Um, they might be repurposed. They oh. might just kind of sit there and not be used, but not be maladaptive and not go away. What about you, Mark? What would you think? Yeah, no, I was going to say the same. I mean, they won't necessarily be maladaptive, but they may not disappear. You know, a lot of the behavior patterns like that could be very reflexive too. 
So it doesn't cost anything for the animal to have it. Good point. And who knows? I mean, one study I always think people should do, and I know a lot of the dog researchers, is to see how captive wolves, because they would be captive, respond to puppy dog eyes. I mean, no one's ever done it. So how the hell do we well, that's don't book know? number five? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you wouldn't you wouldn't know. It would I mean, I could not make a prediction and say wolves would not respond to them. You know what I mean? Maybe wolves have their own version of a a puppy dog eye. Um, but that's another fascinating question is what behaviors might be retained because it doesn't cost them anything to retain them, or which would be like Jessica's word, repurposed, modified. Well, it could be two things. It could be simply repurposed and not modified. And in ethology, they're called derived behaviors. They don't really change, but they take on a different function. Or they may be modified more so that they can work better for dogs on their own. I like that. Hey, um, everyone. we're A gold we're mine. Right. We're speaking with Dr. Jessica Pierce and Dr. Mark Beckoff. They've written a book you must get your paws on. It's called A Dog's World, Imagining the Lives of Dogs in a World Without Humans. When we come back from this commercial break, we're going to talk about some of the things they pointed out in one of the chapters, and it comes up with gains and losses. Would dogs be better off without us? So sit, stay. We'll be right back. Time for a walk on the red carpet, of course. All Behave will be back in a flash right after these messages. Hey, pet pals, Arden Moore here. Itch, scratch, rub, chew, repeat. Does that sound like what's happening to your pet? Help is here. Zymox skin and ear care products can help calm and soothe your pet's angry skin or red infected ears. For over 20 years, Zymox products have been helping pets find relief for these conditions. For that itchy pet, Zymox shampoo and leave-on conditioner combines a special blend of ingredients to help moisturize, hydrate, and provide soothing relief. For those hard-to-treat areas like body folds or the paws, easy-to-use Zymox topical cream and spray are great options. And for those nasty ears, Zymox Ear Solution is awesome. And you don't even have to pre-clean the painful ear. No pre-cleaning? Hooray! All Zymox skin and ear products get their effectiveness from enzymes. Zymox contains no antibiotics and no petroleum byproducts. Just the soothing power of enzymes. Zymox can be found at your veterinary clinic, most pet specialty stores, and online. Hey, you can save 20% off any Zymox or Oratine product on Zymox.com by using the code ARDEN20 at checkout. That's ARDEN20. Visit Zymox.com. That's Z-Y-M-O-X.com. More great news. You now can also save 20% off any Zymox ear or skin product on the exclusive deals page on FearFreeHappyHomes.com. Pause up. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hi, this is John Provost. You might remember me as Timmy from the Lassie series. Well, you know, every time Lassie comes home, she always has me turn on Pet Life Radio so she can listen to Arden Moore on that show, you know, Old Behave. <laughs> 
We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox, that is. Now back to Obehave. Here's Arden. Welcome back to the Obehave show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I am, my brain is getting filled with amazing stuff that it hasn't heard before. And I think that's the intrigue of your book, both of you, is you're taking a what if and with your science backgrounds and your love of pets, come on, I hear it. I hear it in your voice. You're playing this game, but I think it has a lot of value. But one of the sections I was very intrigued with was gains and losses you put in three categories, physical, social, psychological. So let's go with Mark first. What are some of the good and bad if there were no people around with dogs and uh, that maybe in one of those areas, physical, social, or psychological? That would be a gain or a loss. Well, physical, it's hard to say. I mean, small dogs might be able to eat small prey. So, you know, that's, you know, it's one of the things we say is, you know, everybody or not everyone, but a lot of people said, well, big dogs would do better than small dogs, but that's not necessarily true. I mean, small dogs would be an appetizer for another carnivore (laughs) with whom they're going to interact. Or they become their friend. (laughs) Or become their friend, or, you know, they don't need big food, or they may live off of insects and other, you know, food matter. So my nine pound dog, Emma, might be okay? Well, yeah, I mean, who would want to have them if, you know, she wouldn't be a meal. But, you know, also in terms of mobility, she might be able to outrun and outmaneuver big predators. I mean, this is a new ball game. I like but it. We had 5,000 hours of watching wild coyotes years ago. It's amazing to watch a coyote try to catch a bunny. I mean, really? they'll catch them every now and again, but it's not easy. So, you know, people think also that predators are always very successful. I mean, the Success rate of a wolf, lions in Africa, you know, give or take 20%. So they, you know, one out of five. Hey, they would never be in the lineup for uh, baseball, right? They would be batting under 200. No, they wouldn't even be designated hitters. But yeah, and so if you look at the data from wild animals, the dogs might not really do all that poorly. And a medium-sized dog might not be a competitor for a larger wolf or a bear. I mean, people have to remember they're going to be meeting predators who are smaller, like the fox family, and yep. larger, like wolves, and also group living, like African wild dogs. So, okay, let's flip it to the more of the social or psychological gain and loss. And and Dr. Jessica, I'm I'm talking about. There's a lot of bad things humans do to dogs. Yes, that was one of the real surprises for me in writing this book. I mean, I think in retrospect, maybe not so surprising, but we we started to make a list as we were working of things dogs have to gain by humans leaving and things they have to lose. And the gains column turned out to be quite a bit longer. That is to say, Sorry, they humans. Might, <laughs> I know. Um, so some of the social gains, I mean, one one thing I mean, it's kind of a social slash psychological gain, also physical gain, is dogs would have a heck of a lot more freedom. There would be no leashes. There would be no crates, no kennels. No zip leads. Ah, no shot yep. collars. Dogs would, you know, in some ways, I mean, there's some trade-offs. You could say, well, dogs would be under less stress, homed dogs, you know, from environments that are either really understimulating or overstimulating. You know, I think on the flip side of that, you can say, well, dogs might be under new and different kinds of stress, you know, having to deal with, you know, weather events and um, being hungry. Yeah, they're not getting kibble in a year. 
they're not. But I mean, one thing about kibble in a bowl that you could consider a loss for current dogs is that they don't have to work for food, don't get to work for their food. And working for one's food is inherently rewarding. So dogs are bored and frustrated often in, in human, you know, sort of intensively homed environments. And in a world without us, they would not be bored. I can almost guarantee. <laughs> the other part, you made a point about at the end, the future of dogs and dogs of the future. So what are your takeaways, both of you individually, that you hope when somebody reads your book, A Dog's World, that they might take home, take homage and make the life with their dog or future dog even more enriching. I'll go with Dr. Jessica first. What's your, what's your takeaway? What's your message to us humans, us two-leggers? Well, the main mm -hmm. takeaway is that dogs want and need to be dogs. So if you take just something like what I would like people to do is perhaps be exposed for the first time or in more complex ways to the research on free ranging dogs and how dogs live when given the choice to sort of create their own kind of life where it's not constrained by what humans think they ought to do or make them do. And if you look at something like how dogs use space, um, if you look at free ranging dogs, you know, it's, it's really variable, but they, you know, they have activity patterns, they may be active in the morning, in the evening, they move around a lot dogs like to roam a dog who is locked inside a small apartment all day, doesn't have opportunity to engage that the range of senses that that nature has <laughs> provided him or her with. You go to Global Pet Expo and there's always enrichment toys. It's almost like we're apologizing to our four-legged species saying, oops, our bad. You're stuck in the house all day, but look at this cool toy we created for you. Yeah, right? I think that's a nice way to put it. And, and maybe the toys are great, but we can also give our dogs more opportunity to be outside and interacting with other dogs and making making choices for themselves about, for example, who they want to interact with. Um, you know, we, mm -hmm. we don't let dogs have consent over making their own friends often, you know, we've sort of forced the, them into these pairings, or Good take them. them to dog parks when they might not really want to go there, want to go there. Yeah, this is great. Dr. Mark, what's your thoughts? Jessica pretty much hit all the nails on the head. I mean, giving them freedom, as she said, you know, making us rethink. I mean, one of the values of the book for dogs right now would be making people rethink their relationship with dogs right now. Exactly. I mean, exactly. it's hard to think about the future, but, you know, reassess, let dogs do dog appropriate things. They like to sniff, give or take a third of the time, let them sniff. Their walk is for them. And, and you're right. I mean, reason they're restrained is because their ancestors are cursorial and they would be running, yeah. you know, I mean, dogs walk, wolves walk, but really forcing people to become dog fluent, dog literate, you know, fluent in dog and spending time. And I've had some emails from people who have said, wow, you know, I hadn't thought about that or I hadn't seen that. And I mean, the reason they hadn't seen it is because they didn't look for it and they didn't know to look for it. But really for me, this book, I mean, I've been doing this stuff for so long, my brain was so, sort of filled. 
It never was. It never was filled. I mean, really, Aunt Jessica, I think, will agree. There were. We worked on the phone a lot. There was never a time when we got off the phone because we had nothing more to say. We usually got off the phone because we were suffering <laughs> from our heads were exploding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what. Like when I read your book, I, that's what I was doing, but in a good way. I was yeah. like, you have opened things that. I hadn't thought about. And I think it's time is perfect. Comes out everybody this month in October, but we have reevaluated our connection with pets, especially during this pandemic. And I'm hoping whatever's happening with books like yours, maybe people are going to hit the pause, not the pause, the pause button and rethink their connection to make it a better relationship with their pets, right? For people who think that this book is sort of going out into, you know, la-la land and speculation, it's not. And I've talked to some trainers, actually, and I work with one really closely. You know, she said she learned a lot from this book. So if you need a book that has a very practical application, it is speculation. It is what philosophers call a thought experiment. It's got really deep practical roots. Yeah. If you, if people reassess and go, oh, wow, yes, Bella's a dog, but Bella came from wolves. Bella still has a wolf, part of a wolf brain, wolf genes. So what does she need to do? And, and you know, you hear people go, well, come on, there's nothing there. And a dog's nose is pinned to the ground like a Hoover vacuum. Yeah. There is something there. Yeah. Jessica aptly named it P-mail. Oh, um, I like the P-mail. Yeah. I like to say that you could drop a Cheeto in a swimming pool and the only one knowing it by smell is your dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I really think that, you know, when people go, oh, you academics just write these books that you and your family and no one else cares about. That's probably <laughs> true, but really. Well, I'm not related and I like it. I can't well, on the show. The, I mean, yeah, you're right. There's other people, but no, there's a real practical basis. And that's what I try to push when I write about it is dog trainers read this book. I mean, I, I was overwhelmed in all honesty by the endorsements. We were hoping they'd be positive. You know, you don't want to write a book and have nobody contact you, but really how they said it's an important book. It'll make it you reassess your relationship with dogs. Now, if that's what it does, that's fine. I would love people to think about dogs of the future. Right now, dogs in the world need help, especially home dogs on Madison Avenue or, sorry, New York. My sister lives there. But Were you but born dogs, in Brooklyn, right? Yes. Dogs need all the help they can get right now. And if that book could be a guide for helping them along, I have fulfilled my purpose. All right. And I would just add really briefly, I mean, one thing as an ethicist, you know, we often tread into territory that's very kind of judgmental and, oh, you should do this and you should do that or shouldn't do this. And what I loved about writing this book is it's, oh, it's an act of imagination and it's non-judgmental. It's just, let's think about dogs yes. differently. Yes, exactly. Take a little adventure into the world of dogs and you'll hopefully come out thinking differently but without feeling bad about right you made me think doing. differently and i have written over 30 books and i'm always learning but when we got this opportunity to have you both on our show and i started reading your book i'm like wow well i should say bow wow because i do talk in puns sorry but uh, the point is I think it's a great book. I think it opens our eyes. It gives us a greater appreciation for the things we don't even begin to know about 
the talents, the abilities of our dogs. And so I always say that, you know, dogs make me a better human. And I think this book is going to open our eyes on that. So I want to thank you both for being on our show. Please, everyone, check out A Dog's World, Imagining the Lives of Dogs in a World Without Humans. It just came out in October. It's written by Dr. Jessica Pierce and Dr. Mark Beckoff, and their websites are easy. Go to Jessica Pierce, that's P-I-E-R-C-E dot net, and Mark is M-A-R-C-B-E-K-O-F-F dot com. They have a lot more. We can only do so much in 30 minutes. But I want to thank you both for being our special guest. Uh, Jessica, give a little treat or whatever Bella wants from uh, Mike, Kona, and Emma. Thank you. I will. <laughs> and she gives a nice lick back. Bravo. And uh, Mark, I don't know where your dogs are or cats, but kudos to them. I have none here, but I have lots of doggy friends. And that's a good thing. That makes you a better human, right? That makes me a much better human. <laughs> yeah. Hey, at this time, too, I want to give a shout out to my producer, Mark Winter. He is the executive producer of Pet Life Radio. We are the largest pet podcast network on the planet. And humbly, this show, Oh Behave, has been on the air since 07. We are the longest running pet podcast on the planet. And I did it without popping up. Hey, Mark. Uh, so thank you, Mark. And until next time, everyone, check out ardenmore.com. And until next time, this is your flea-free host, Arden Moore, delivering just two words to all you two, three, and four-leggers out there. Oh, behave. Coast to coast and around the world, it's Oh, Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.